Hi, I'm Roy Crown, and welcome to a Christmas special of Gospel Entrepreneurs. In this podcast, I've been speaking to leaders in the church, community, and business who are using their entrepreneurial spirit to share the good news of the gospel wherever they find themselves. Today, I have a special episode with Joanne O'Connor, who runs Junction 42 and has been bringing the light of Jesus that we are celebrating at this time of year in some of the darkest situations in prisons. So sit back and enjoy an amazing interview with Joanne. Welcome, Joanne. Well, thank you. And I'm good to be here. And you're a real entrepreneur because you kind of got this vision for prisons. How did that come about? When I came to faith and I was at university, I couldn't believe that other people didn't really know about God or have the opportunity. And I was really, I think I was really just annoyed that um, that people had stereotyped Christians to be a certain type of person. And I certainly wasn't a stereotypical person that people would expect to be a Christian by my behavior standards. And just understanding that faith wasn't linked to behavior in that sort of way. Like we don't get good enough for God or we don't have to be a studious type or this sort of type to be a Christian. And so when I came to faith, I was just passionate that everyone would have to know. So I've decided to do this big, massive mission of all the debate about whether God was real or psychological. So we invited a non-Christian evolutionary psychologist to come and speak and why God is a delusion. We didn't actually have a speaker for the other side until the night before, to be fair. But just this idea that in the Bible, they debated these things, they brought it out into the open and they, you know, they weren't scared of conversation. And so during that mission, Youth for Christ, some of the staff were there supporting, helping run the events. And the guy who was given to me to help support wasn't very much of a support at all, to be honest. And like he just brought his washing to my flat and stuff. And I was just so annoyed with them at the end of the mission. I just like had this massive go at him. And I was just like, I can't believe this. Da, da, da. And anyway, he turns around to me and goes, have you ever thought about being in prisons? I was like, no, but that sounds like fun. Um, so he basically invited me to go in and share my story in the prison. I'm from a family where like, wouldn't have a clue what drug was what. I've grown up in the middle of nowhere in the countryside, sort of very innocent, not really involved in knowing what prison was like or anything. So I kind of didn't even know what the environment would be like, but my first experience was going into Young Fender Institute and sharing my story, thinking what has my story got to do with these young men, lots of them from sort of intercity London. I was kind of thinking at the university, I was in a place where people were like debating and thinking God. And it was like, it wasn't that it was, we got into arguments, but it was just so like, for people to entertain the thought of God was a massive stretch for them. And here I was in this place where most people would think like, what do people want to do with God? These young people, you know, they're in prison. And just this understanding, like, honestly, it was like they were singing songs that we might've sung in school and assembly. And I just had this revelation of, it wasn't just me. There was just such an openness to the gospel and that they were hungry for it. And I just thought, do you know what? This is where I want to be because I'm not, there's so much fruit in this place 
and people are so open to God. And I just went, this is where we need to invest some time and energy. So that was really it. That one experience kind of, even though I was at university, I was spending all the time in prison, volunteering, just setting up things and working with the team. And we just kind of really grew that work from a very small sort of work into quite a big one, even by the time we'd finished, I'd finished university. You kind of did it in a very unusual way, didn't you, Jane? You thought, if we're going to do this, I've got to be a bit entrepreneurial in the way I do my work in prison. Because you, you see things that are there, but you then create things out of nothing. So what was the first thing that you got involved with, with Gospel Entrepreneur? Well, the very first opportunity that was given to me was one that I didn't want to take because they were like, oh, they want someone to lead the dance class. And the reality is, is even before as a Christian and I was drunk, I still wouldn't dance. So leading the dance class. But it was a really valuable lesson for me because there was two things I was passionate about. One is I knew that a lot of Christian ministries work in prison and they work out of the chapel, which is brilliant. But that depends on people seeking out and coming to a building was my whole passion is about what about those that don't get themselves there? What about those who don't even think about God? And, you know, how do we outreach and get out there? So in order to outreach, you need something. You need to understand. It's a bit like business. You need to understand what people want and you need to be good at providing what people want. And so the woman in this prison, so we weren't working in this prison at the time, but I, it was basically a commission and saying, right, Joanne, if you want a job here, you'll go to this prison and we'll test it for 12 months and see what happens. So sort of packed my bags. And then it was like, oh, by the way, they want a dance class. And I was just like, ah, like, I can't do this, but I can do all things in God, right? Let's do this. So it's what the woman wanted. So even though I couldn't, what I thought is, do you know what? This doesn't have to be about me being a teacher. And the valuable lesson was, is I could facilitate those women. And the reality is, as I went in and I held that dance class, I borrowed a CD player. This is way back. Got some music. And those women never, ever found out that I couldn't dance. I just facilitated them coming together in a group, bringing their ideas together. And they had so much ownership. They made it a gospel song. They loved it. They toured that whole prison with their dance group sharing it because they owned it. It wasn't me teaching them and they were the subjects. So that then grew and changed. And then the next thing is, is we discovered that in the prison canteen, they only had one standard card that you could buy. It was like a granny card, basically, you know, one of those ones with the gold foil. And that's what those women were sending to their children. I just sort of did a lot of inquiry and I thought, well, why can't we set up a card making workshop where the women can make personalized cards for their children? and then sell those to other women in the prison and then that money be generated into creating a little business. So we set that up and then that became a mainstream industry in the prison. And, you know, we've done different projects since like barbering rather than bringing a barber in, we've taught the men to barber, they're touching each other, they're trusting each other. And then they set up these micro businesses. And the thing is, is outreach is about understanding what is important to people and then facilitating that. So I think when you look across Junction 42, I think people think, oh, my gosh, you've got card businesses. Or you've got Barbara in here. What is it? We just say the tool doesn't matter. We just get good at creating tools. But what matters is what matters to people. How did you do gospel in that context? Great entrepreneur. You set up the card business, really successful. Uh, the barbers in prison, amazing. Like, I need one. But, yeah, that's all good. <laughs> and uh, But... They were kind of enterprises. How was the gospel involved in that? 
because we refused to separate the gospel from it. So we weren't employing outreach workers who did the outreach and faith staff who did the faith. So what we understand is when you love people and you create things with them, you're developing a relationship. And so for me, I was working in the chapel and in the education department. And so whenever I was running an alpha group, the alpha group was full because it was the people that it was, it was almost like I wasn't bringing people into the, the chapel. What was happening is, is people want to know so much in the classroom about what, who it was and what my story was. I was having to go, hold on a minute. This is a classroom. It's not appropriate to talk about this here. We can't just pray in the classroom. So why don't we start an alpha group and you guys can come to that. So I think you can't contain who you are when you're working with people. If you're listening to their, it's that old, you know, I think it was one of the resources Youth for Christ had, like, you know, your story, my story, his story. It just Yeah, the guy that did that, he's an amazing guy who did that. I think his name was Roy Crown. <laughs> I was like, you, Roy. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> My story, God's story, their story. But yeah, great. You know, that's how it works. We don't have a, an evangelism strategy in the classroom or a thing. We understand that relationships form. It's so natural. It's just, it happens. And the reality is, is we do so much outreach that, you know, even now all of our groups have got waiting lists. And I think it's that confidence to get out of the building, get out of the chapel, get out of the comfort space and actually know that the places that you're going to, it's a bit like, you know, any sort of indigenous mission. If you listen to the people and understand who they are and what's important to them, and instead of going with your agenda, you kind of are a lot more thinking, okay, what is it we can create together? And it's been amazing what you've done, but all of that was thriving, doing fantastic, and then COVID hit and everything shut down. Tell us how that was for you. That must have been like, you know, just nobody going in, all of that. How was that? And then we'll talk about what you created out of it. So it's really interesting, isn't it? Because I think I would say that there's a Chinese proverb that says that the word crisis is made up of two parts and one is danger and the other one's opportunity. And I think there's two things that happened when COVID happened. And one is, how do I act responsibly as an employer with about 35 staff? You know, how do I protect my staff? How do I ensure stability and consistency in the organization? All of that stuff that, you know, a CEO should think about. But then also just this drive within you that's just like, it's funny because we started calling files on our filing system. People were starting to call it coronavirus and something inside of me was like, no, we're not calling it that. We are calling that time to shine. And just this understanding that this, in times like this, the church was created and the people of God were created to shine like never before. Because you just, had to shut down everything, didn't you? When, when it was in the prisons, you could no longer go in and do what you were doing. In all but two of the prisons, yeah. But in the community, we were deemed as key workers. Very quickly, we knew we could not cliff edge clients. In the community, we work with the most broken and the most vulnerable people. And so our stance was until we're told to shut down and stop contact, we're not doing that. So we, we didn't even take seconds to think about whether we were key workers or not. And we were on five different fronts or something. But I think a lot of people took a while to realize that they were deemed as a key service. But for us in the community, that was always the case. In the prisons where we were deemed as a voluntary service as opposed to a contracted service, those prisons did shut down to us in person. 
But in some other prisons, we were deemed as a key service to the prison, but they limited the number of staff going in. And even the staff going in, it was telephone contact. So you were maybe sitting in the chapel and someone was in their cell and you phoned them from inside the prison. You know, you weren't having face-to-face interactions or group work. So fundamentally, everything stopped as far as any group work. You know, everything became a very different way of working, really. And weren't they confined to their cells like 23 hours a day or something? It must have been absolutely horrendous for the prisoners. Yeah, so I think it took a while to get there because you can't wear masks in prison because of security reasons. You weren't allowed hand gel because the alcohol content. So I think the whole way of working was so much more risky. In a male prison, you have about 1,300 men in very close combined spaces. You've got a lot of fear. In other countries, you were hearing on the news that staff and inmates were getting killed, you know, because the fear was like making it, you know, a horrendous situation to work in. So the, the government did then sort of lock down 23 and a half hours a day in most prisons, bar people making the food and things like that. And so the whole system and long before, even now, whenever society is opening up a lot, that the, the lockdowns in prisons are much longer and much harsher because the government has a responsibility for keeping people alive. So you saw the crisis, you're yeah. working with vulnerable people in the community, mm-hmm. but then you had some crazy idea, very entrepreneurial, for prison and gospel. What was that, John? <laughs> Um, yeah, so I think it was just, okay, if people are confined to their cells, then we need to reach them in their cells. And I think, I think because we have a teaching background, you know, as you get involved in outreach, you've got teaching qualifications, you've got social qualifications, you sort of learn all this stuff. And we've always been passionate. Look, we know people are kinesthetic learners in prison. They learn through doing. Music is really important to them because their emotions, they're listening to the words of songs and they're touched through their emotional kind of sensitivity. And, you know, we understood what is best practice as far as helping people understand things. And so, to be honest, I think I heard on the news something like uh, when it comes to people in prison and their, their faith, or it was announced that they were going to provide in-cell worship. So I was like, oh, that's amazing. We could be part of that scheme. Let's find out what they're doing. So then we kind of got in touch and it was just like, oh, that's, you know, no one's really doing anything. You know, it was obviously just Bible printouts, the chaplains put through people's doors. But because we had educational contracted services as well, we understood that all of our creative arts provision had to be developed in cells. So we'd started creating these in-cell creative packs. And that was part of our sort of localized contractual delivery. So I was saying, right, let's do this with faith. Let's make up a faith pack. And what is it that when someone comes to a service, what is it they experience? Experience worship. So we'll have a worship CD in there. They hear a testimony. You know, they pray. Let's put a prayer journal in there. There's a Bible study. Let's put a word for the day in there. And then the kinesthetic, this creative activity, but designing it so it was going to be really important for those in prison. So an example would be, and it's always a creative activity that gets people. So in prison, you don't really have anything personal apart from your photographs but you're not allowed pins and you're not allowed blue tack and things. So people put these beautiful, precious school photographs sometimes of the kids or these, you know, they might have three pictures and that's all they have related to the outside life. They use toothpaste to put it on a pin board. It gets all curled up and wrecked and all the rest of it. So I said, oh, right, why don't we make a prayer frame? 
So you get one of those little cardboard school frames that we all get our kids' pictures in because it's security protected, no glass, it's cardboard. And then we've got all these little rolls of paper and they wrote their prayers for their family on the rolls of paper and then rolled it up and put it around the frame. And it would take them like about a month or two months to do it completely. But it helped them feel in control that they didn't know what was happening on the outside. They didn't know what was happening with the loved ones, but every day they could pray for them. And we were holding their photos as precious, you know, because the thing is, otherwise you're just mass distributing Christian literature, which is good and probably got a 10% success rate. But if you have something that's engaging in there, it's phenomenal. It goes through the roof, really. So anyway, we designed these products and we did 12,000 for the first one. And we thought that that was going for it all out. It was a big thing. You know, we'd never done this before reaching 12,000 people for the gospel. But that was just kind of the start of something that's become phenomenal. And it, it was an amazing idea. Somebody listening to this, you know, may think, well, I never get ideas like that. Or how do you find those ideas? Is it just the entrepreneur that always thinks differently and sees the opportunity and can create something out of nothing? Or is it anyone? What do you think, Joanne? I think it can be a bit of both. So I think that everyone is probably more entrepreneurial than what they think that they are. But I would also say that when God's involved, there's always multiplication. And I think there's a principle of whatever you have, no matter how big, or how small, when you do your bit and step out in faith with your loaves and fishes, God always seems to multiply it. And some of the principles for me is, like, if I was in business, you do your market research, you research your product, the price, all the rest of it. It's the same. It's just the same in the kingdom. We don't drop those principles. It's like you listen to the people, and whether that's at a food bank or whether that's on the streets, whether that's like in your neighborhood, when you listen to people, quite often we all have that response, which is like, what can I do to facilitate change here? And so it might be that, you know, someone's got a problem and you're helping them work out what the answer is. And I think where we stop entrepreneurism was we think it's our responsibility to sort the problem out, but probably more whenever we start to ask, what can I facilitate to help them sort this problem out all of a sudden it, it grows and it becomes this kind of systemic creation and it's beautiful so yeah I do think that people are a lot more entrepreneurial than they think um but I think that is just about being a conduit to facilitate other people and r- really solving pro it's just been a problem solver isn't it rather than a moaner that's really focusing on the opportunity and not the crisis exactly exactly but and and have you seen the impact you must have had some stories back of people within the prison we're looking at christmas this is going out christmas everybody's thinking about in a prison context that must be even more challenging but some stories of of hope that have happened as a result of what you did so this story is like a principle that's sort of demonstrating. So there was a woman. Um, so some of the chaplains were using the packs as induction packs. So whenever someone came in, it was a really good tool to help them go away and, you know, be able to do, you know, stuff out cell. And that's what I'd say is they're primarily being tools from the ground workers to, to facilitate God moving outside of just the time that they have, because chaplains are so limited with their time. You know, when you've got a few chaplains for thousands yeah. of people, you know, that, so, um, 
So there was this one woman who came in on induction and she was given one of the faith packs. And basically, we'll find out the whole story later, but basically she had totally planned how she was going to end her life. She had, you know, done everything. It was planned down. But she opened one of the faith packs and powerfully met with God in that faith pack. And we didn't know anything about this. So she she just felt loved and so full of hope. And then very shortly after that, so she she meets with God, she devours that faith pack, she listens to the music and she finds so much healing in it. She started the prayer journal and she was praying every day and, you know, she was doing all this by herself. No one knew that this had happened. She just happened in her cell and this huge life-changing thing had happened in the privacy of this place. We find out about it because she's transferred prison to a prison in Scotland where we have a worker working and he encounters this woman because she is basically marches up to him and says, can you give me resources to run the alpha course on the wing, please? And he's like, all right, what's your story? So she shares her story of how she came to faith. And basically she's like, everyone has to know, everyone has to be given the opportunity to do this. And he goes, I'm on holidays next week, but Junction 42 have packified the alpha course. (laughs) So he was able to give her the Junction 42 course. And by the time he'd come back off holiday, She'd ran the alpha course in the whole wing. Wow. And it's just, yeah, I was just like, oh my gosh, this is just the mustard seed, isn't it? It's just so that That is so encouraging. I mean, people listening to that. I mean, what would you say, Joanna? Hey, we've talked gospel entrepreneurs. You definitely are one, your team, what you're doing. You're working with the most vulnerable, not just in prison, but I know you work with the vulnerable in community as well. You've just got a passion for it. You're also so much fun and energy. Uh, you're a dynamic dynamo, really. You're just oh, fantastic. No, oh, you're great. You. You've done amazing. <laughs> and God's provision in people and finances, it's just been great. Just give us one last thing. Christmas is around. Uh, what would you say to those gospel entrepreneurs that are listening to this? in this season at this time, Joanne? I would say that God is more real and more practical than what we would ever imagine. And I think a lot of people have dreams that don't become reality because they're a bit nervous about the the risk. And I guess what I'd say is, you know, in America, they talk about falling forward. And I think sometimes we can be so scared that something doesn't work that we don't even take a step to make it work. And what I'd say is we have made so many mistakes And as much as everything sounds amazing, I could go on and on about all the failures and, you know, all the potholes, but it's the only way that we learn. We just don't like learning that way. And so the encouragement for me would be is is being successful isn't about the, the initial fruitfulness, but it's about the ability to be adaptable, to take the risk and to go for it. But every time we've stepped on the water, it has been made solid beneath us. And, you know, every time we just thought taking the financial risk of 12,000 was huge And now that just looks like so small compared to what God's done. But every big thing comes from something small. So don't despise the day of small beginnings, but know when you step on the water, even when you sink, he reaches in and brings you up and you've learned another lesson. (laughs) So go for it. Just do it. It's like Mike, isn't it? Just do it. Amazing. It's such a joy. And and it's so great that Junction 42 do what they do in a prison context. But I know that you also work in the community as well, which is fantastic. 
If you want to hook up, find out more what Joan does, then Junction 42 is the place to go. Is that .org? Yeah, junction42.org. Um, and you'll see what we do with churches, in communities and prisons. Thanks, Joanne, for joining me today. I wonder if we shouldn't just take a moment to pray for those in prison over this Christmas time and some of those outreach resources that have been given over this season that God will do something amazing. And in that darkest place, the light will shine. So let's pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening today. I'll be back very soon with more gospel entrepreneurs. So make sure you keep your eye on this feed for more. But make sure you check out the first series, which is out now on UCB Player or wherever you get your podcasts. Gospel Entrepreneurs is a UCB podcast in partnership with Revelation Trust. I'm Roy Crown, and I want to personally wish you an amazing Christmas full of his peace and presence. God bless you.